0: Cappuccino with Constable Brian: Real people, real stories.
1: So my guest today is Martin Cocker, who is the CEO of NetSafe New Zealand. He's been the CEO of NetSafe New Zealand for the last 15 years, originally hailing from Oriwa. Uh, NetSafe was founded in 1998 when it was known as the Internet Safety Group. Is that correct? Yeah, that's yep, right. Yep, yep. And then rebranded in 2008. It is internationally renowned um, and it's independent. It's an independent, non-for-profit organisation with unrelenting focus on online safety and practices for everybody, uh, but especially aimed at Kiwis. It's based in New Zealand, so very proud New Zealand uh, firm. Knowledge across the digital challenge. He's a husband, he's dad, and... I believe in a true story, he's one of the very few men that can actually say, and you can tell the story after I've said this, to have stopped John Wick in his tracks. Is that correct?
0: (laughs) Yes. uh, Yes, accidentally. Yeah. When we we were in uh, New York and I accidentally walked out onto the set of uh, John Wick. The scene, I think, towards the end where he and his dog meet the handler and uh, walk off Towards the end of John Wick Two, but we accidentally walked into
1: the back of the scene. Yes. There you go. And they had to reset the scene, didn't they? They
0: did reset the scene. Yes. I, I don't know they particularly blamed us for it, but they definitely reset yeah, the scene, and we uh, slipped
1: off. <laughs> that's not many men I know that can say they've stopped John Wick in full action. So well done to you, sir. Now I know you've listened to the uh, podcast before, so this is the speed round yeah. dedicated to speed, the world's greatest police uh, movie, which also has Keanu Reeves in it. So there we go. Yeah. So number one. The video game you played the most as a kid was what?
0: Oh, I think as a kid, you go back to Populous, played a lot of football manager type games. um, I played a lot lot of computer games as a kid, so uh, I'm not sure which one the most.
1: There we go. If I got you to delete all but three apps from your phone, three of your favourite apps, the ones that you couldn't live with, what have you got left on your phone, do you think?
0: Oh, very productivity apps, you know, because I've <laughs> got to do my work. So yeah, yeah, sure. You're yeah. going to be leaving me with emails, yeah. some
1: like that. What's the one internet craze that you don't get? That you look at and just scratch your head and go, hmm.
0: I don't know. I don't understand that. I don't get any more than I don't get them all. Really, yeah. you know, they just—I I get that they appeal to some people. They very seldom uh, appeal to me personally. But,
1: Fair yeah. enough. So that means we're not going to see a TikTok video in the future, I'm guessing. PlayStation, Xbox, or a computer gamer? Uh, Xbox. There you go. Good work. Your video game of choice now? The Division 2. Ooh, there you go. Tom Clancy? Yes. There you go. The best internet invention or the use of the internet that you have seen, in your opinion, is what? The best use of the internet? Yep. Oh, I mean, I don't, I don't don't know.
0: Probably video conferencing is probably the thing that's most transformed, your ability to connect people.
1: Certainly in these COVID times anyway, that's for sure. Alright, so first question for you. How does a guy from Oriwa become an internationally renowned expert on internet security? Because <laughs> let's be honest, Oriwa has a reputation, I say this, as a police officer up in the area. Surfies, good life, beaches, lots of outdoor activity. How do you go and become an internet specialist?
0: Well, yeah, I certainly agree with your original kind of background statement. <laughs> Aruba, coming from Oriwa, uh, you know, it was, a, it was such a relaxed environment that as a child you probably didn't, didn't really even understand the kind of grimness of the world, that kind of thing, you no. just didn't see it You're on the beach. Uh, but the, the short sort of summary is that I, after university, I did a degree in politics, after university I kind of fell into the computer industry uh, and worked in the computer industry for a while. I got a job where I was looking after schools and I became really interested in the kind of education space and ICT crossover and then uh, you know, an opportunity came up to be the CEO of NetSafe and I thought uh, this is, this is something that really appeals to me, it certainly seems more interesting than selling computer systems, and, <laughs> right. and got into it. And, and how you become a world leading expert is you join a small pool of, uh, of people. There's not that many online safety people in the world, so, you
1: know. Yep. That is what it is, I guess. Um, do you think if I'd shoulder tapped you at university and said, hey Martin, you're going to become a world renowned expert on internet safety, mm. what do you think Martin's uh, reaction would have been at university? If I'd oh, said it to you.
0: I would never have thought about it. I mean, I didn't even sort of think about the fact that internet safety would be a thing or was a thing, you know. Pretty like, early days of computers, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm getting
1: pretty old. <laughs> like us, Right, now, as a kid, can you remember what your first experience of computing or internet or gaming was? Can you remember your first sort of experience?
0: Yeah, yeah I do remember uh, first experiences. The, the, the most, probably the earliest was... It's called the Sinclair Spectrum ZX eighty one. It was mm-hmm. a, it was a, the first idea of a sort of a home computer, and you could program it yourself. and uh, And my uncle, who was a principal, he brought one home, and my cousin and I, you know, programmed a, a game into it, a, a game in a sort of looser sense of the term. <laughs> uh, and that was probably be my earliest experience. But then uh, I was lucky because uh, family members brought home computers from work and and had them over holidays and things like that, gave me a chance to understand what they were about.
1: That's alright. Now, uh, putting on your NetSafe hat, Now, how large or how much are internet scams worth in New Zealand, roughly per, per year? How much are New Zealanders losing every year to scams and internet fraud? Just rough ballpark figure off the top of your head.
0: Well, we know what they report. Mm. So we know that they report to us, you know, between 20 and 30 million a year and similar numbers to the cert. So we don't know that you can add those together, but the reality is you're probably looking at a couple of hundred thousand, sorry, a couple of hundred million of uh, losses to New Zealanders to scams. Uh, If we could ever add it all up and get everybody to report it, I think you'd be looking at that kind of a number.
1: Mm. Okay. Now, there seems to be a perception amongst a lot of people, certainly not amongst you and I, because we deal with it on a regular basis, Mm. that only idiots or... Um, old people who have got no idea about computers are the only people that get stung by scams, uh, or from internet scams. That is so far from the truth. It's unbelievable, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah. The thing to really understand about scams is it's really about the timing. So if you, if if a scam comes to you at the right time, that's what the that's where the vulnerability comes from. If you're looking for a job, a, a job scam. If you're waiting to hear from your bank and you hear from the you know scammers purporting to be your bank. It's just about timing. So 9% 9 of the time, the the timing is off for the scammers, but that 1% when it's on, that's what gets them through your defenses. And and we see all sorts of really, you know, sophisticated, intelligent people get drawn into scams. Uh, And, and, you know, scammers are, they're working hard to perfect their business. So they're getting better and better at it. And yeah, it's not, I mean, there are some scams you've got to be a fool to a fool for. I don't don't, uh, dispute that, but generally, those
1: are not the people that we're helping. No, um, I mean, let's be honest. We all look at the, for instance, and I don't, does it still happen on the internet. The, Niger, the old Nigerian frauds. Yep, they scam. definitely yep. still happen. Yeah. Yeah, um, but you know, people look at that and go, "Oh, you'd have to be a complete idiot." But mm. I think some people don't realise that some of those internet scams are actually really complex and complicated, and actually quite quite smart. Um, so, yep. what's the majority of Net Safes? Uh, calls look like if I said to you what's the what are you dealing with most of the time?
0: Yeah so Netso handles about 25,000 requests for assistance a year the majority of those are financial fraud and uh, scams so by volume scams are the biggest thing that people call us about by time that we have to invest in resolution it's stuff under the harmful digital communications act so it's online abuse and harassment and that's because NetSafe has a, a particular function or requirement to attempt to resolve those disputes. So, of course, that, that takes longer. Whereas, say, a, a scam a victim or report, we can pretty quickly work through the process of giving them what they need and sending them on their way.
1: Yeah. So internet scams are very much modern-day hustles mm. designed to make dollars really quickly. Um, my dad tells a great story of um, just after World War II, there was a big outbreak in England of uh, cats that used to be skinned and then they'd pull their back legs so they look like rabbits, and they'd sell them off as rabbits, trying to make quick bucks. Which is a horrible story, but let's be honest, it's just another hustle. <laughs> if I was the victim of a uh, internet scam, what is what's the first steps I should take to to actually combat it, or to actually get some advice?
0: Yeah, I mean, we always, like, because it's so dependent on the scam and the situation for each person, we, we always say that one piece of advice is call cool, NetSafe and then we'll, 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 our team will work out a bespoke response for you. I mean, the, look, the, the big thing that people are, want to do when they realise they're a the victim of scam is get their money back. And the only way that's going to happen is if you're reversing those transactions really, really quickly. So you know, my, if, if I realised that I had been the victim of a scam, my first call would be to the bank in an attempt to, to stop the transaction or reverse the transaction. But unfortunately, you know, even within a few days, it'll, it'll be too late to do that. Uh, and then what you're mostly looking at is trying not to become a further victim of a scam, not to lose further money or, or information.
1: Now New Zealand's uh, internet security, passwords and safety, let's be honest, most New Zealanders security passwords. Appalling. Mm. Uh, I've walked into some people's houses and gone, Oh, I've you're a big Darth Vader fan. Don't suppose your password for your Wi Fi is Darth Vader, is it? And they go, How did you guess? One <laughs> um, of three things that we should all do straight after we've listened to this podcast to make things a little bit safer, in your opinion, what would you say? Here's three things you can do real quick and simple.
0: Oh, I mean, uh, definitely passwords are the, are the key to, to uh, safety online. So Having different passwords for different platforms is really important. People find that really difficult because you've got so many passwords. So uh, you know you could consider a password manager, uh, or there is actually some uh, easy advice about creating sort of variety of passwords that you can remember. So that's one thing. Definitely recognizing the need to update software and keep things up to date. Mostly that's happening automatically now. But if it's not, that's that's vulnerability. And and for the biggest targets, so, you know we. The, the recent thing with the Reserve Bank—that's what that was about. Software was not up to date, and it was vulnerable. So that's certainly the same thing happens within within your house. Uh, I'm not sure what my third thing would be. I'd probably say passwords and updating uh, software would be my top two. But even just taking, even just even just stopping on a regular basis to have a think about security is is huge. And just understanding all the different kind of devices in your home that are vulnerable to you know security intrusions. Uh, from everything from you know Alexa and all the smart devices your your, your phone your laptop your Xbox etc just realizing how many there are
1: as well as assisting and protecting Kiwis from scams netsafe does an incredible amount of research into Kiwis and our internet behavior our habits the trends and everything else yep. why is that so important for netsafe that research uh,
0: well <laughs> because you know when you're trying to intervene and and uh, provide people with you know, assistance, you've got to fully understand the, the, the reality of their situation. We talk about the scams, misunderstanding that people think only fools fall for scams. If you then created a campaign based on that, your campaign would be ineffective, you wouldn't be targeting the right things. So the research is often about really understanding where New Zealanders are at. You know, we did a big research around misinformation before doing the Your News Bulletin misinformation campaign. But also uh, we have a responsibility to the government to tell them what's going on as their online safety partner. So we have to run these annual, large annual research projects to track over time whether things are getting worse or better, whether people's understanding of the laws are getting better or worse, et cetera, uh, so that they can you know, derive policy from that.
1: Now, a perfect example being the US presidential elections, hate and harmful uh, content online winner. Uh, 20% of kids can't actually even participate in daily activities because they've been exposed to some harmful online experiences those figures are a disgrace uh, let's be honest they're an absolute disgrace um, why do you think in your opinion why do you think they're so high um, that we've got this that many kids who can't do anything because they've seen something on the internet that they have basically said well wow, this is just I'm, I'm out I can't do anything
0: yeah so so you're talking about is really the harm and harmful digital communications because lots of people experience things online that are unpleasant. But then, for uh, unfortunately, about twenty percent of young people, and getting closer to that within the adult population now, uh, they're, they're, they, it affects their life in a way that turns them off technology, or you know, makes them afraid to go to school, or, or you know, disengage from their um, things in their life that are important. Uh, why? Why is that the volume? I mean. I don't know. There's been this theory about the internet just being a mirror on society, and that really it's society's problems just playing out online. But the reality is that the internet it may be a mirror, but it's a convex or a concave, which one exaggerates the things. And mm-hmm. so, that the bad behaviours that that yeah they exist, sexism, racism, homophobia, whatever they all exist in society, but somehow they just get amplified online. People feel more free to be more offensive uh, online, and that then that that affects you know, people and 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 harms them in 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 a variety of ways uh and and look i mean the thing for us is it's just the reality isn't it Mm. you don't i don't try to spend too much time understanding why someone decides to harm somebody else i just accept that they do and it's our job to try to resolve
1: it exactly right now many old school listeners will be sitting here and they'll be listening and going come on kids it's not that difficult all of these things have an off button why don't you just turn them off and get on with it what would you say to those old school listeners? Like I've had this discussion with many of my mates, and so said, "Look, it's actually a lot harder than uh, for you. It's a lot harder for a 16-year-old to unplug from the social media world than it is you at the age of 49." Um, do you think that's the big the big problem, the fact that it is so hard for them to plug off?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the reality is a lot of older listeners now would would recognise that just switching off. You know their their tech connections is pretty realistic, <laughs> but but it's you know often people talk about the the intertwining of the sort of online and offline worlds. You know that that the, the reality is that you know that they're not as separate as separated as we might like. You know, and certainly for young people, that's additionally so their social lives and their education that that they're really intertwined with technology. And especially, you know, for a young person, that social aspect of, the, of their life and their development is super important. So, when you're telling them turn off your, your phone or disconnect, you're not just saying turn off the phone, you're saying disconnect from your social network, disconnect from your friends, and that, that's that's unrealistic.
1: That mm, is. Now, with COVID 19, lots more Kiwis obviously spent more time on the internet as everybody else is doing yeah. around the world, also. Right? What did you see any huge increases in calls to NetSafe during that period, and what seemed to be the biggest? one singular issue over that I know that you had a number of issues and we'll talk about (laughs) those later on but what was the big one that really stood out and um, did you see an increase in in volume to Netsay?
0: Yeah we saw an increase in everything Uh, by and large you can just say it doubled so the number of people who came to us doubled uh, the number of people accessing our website doubled, the number of people downloading resources doubled uh, and you're, you're right, people went home, they were sent home with their work, they were sent home with their kids for a while to, to look after their kids' education and they were you know discovering things about their children's online lives and their own online lives and realising <laughs> they need to do something about it uh, and you know, I guess there was a surge in, a, in scam activity early on, really significant uh, and then but over that, over that period, it was the really high harm areas, uh, image-based sexual abuse, the kind of uh, stalking, things really closely associated with uh, physical safety or fear for your physical safety. We started to see more and more of those come through. People were at home. They, they obviously couldn't um, carry out their attempts to intimidate someone else in the way they had previously, so they turned to technology to do it, and, and so we, we ended up doing a lot of that over the COVID period.
1: Now up to a quarter of all Kiwis who get scammed don't report it, while 61% fail, sorry, up to a quarter of all Kiwis who get scammed don't even tell anybody about the fact that they've been scammed, mm. and while 61% of people that do get scammed fail to report it, why do you think, do you think it's the embarrassment, do you think it's the stigma, do you think it's, I mean for a lot of um, elderly people I deal with it's the sort of ageism and the fact that they, their um, daughters and sons will look at them and go, oh mummy." You were a bit stupid there. Um, what do you think it is?
0: Yeah, I think a lot of it's embarrassment. I think a lot of it comes back to that uh, thing that you mentioned earlier—the the sort of societal view that you're a fool if you fall for a scam. So uh, people don't want to admit that they were a fool, um, and, and you know we, we spend a lot of time trying to combat that view for exactly that reason. We want people to come forward and report. Uh, I think there are people who are who are knowledgeable enough to know that they're not going to get their money back, and so. You know, by reporting it or talking to other people about it, they're going to have to admit their mistake. They're not actually going to be, get the benefit of getting their money back. And so they decide, well, they'll, they'll just keep it to themselves. There are definitely things that can be done to help people out, which is really why we want people to come forward. Yep. And people who are victims of a scam once will be targeted over and over again. So it's really important, if we can get them to come forward, that we can help them to you know, be more resilient against those future scams.
1: And it's that thing, I guess, of the more people that actually report it, the more it's like sort of saying to somebody, "Hey, beware of the guy on the corner selling the dodgy watches. They'll break after an hour or two, and pretty much his business will be closed down within sort of half an hour because everybody knows to steer clear of him." So
0: yeah, and a big thing for me is frustration. The country doesn't do enough about online scams. But you know, if you're sitting there at a, at a government policy level and you're, and you're being told that it's twenty or thirty million dollars, you're going to say, "Well, you know, okay, it's that level of problem. I've got all these other problems to, to worry about." But if you're being told it's hundred million dollars then you're going to say, okay, well, this is actually a bigger problem. Maybe mm. I can put some resources into resolving it.
1: Not wrong. Now, February the 9th, uh, 2021 is Safer Internet Day. Um, what is that all about? What's the entire day about?
0: Safer Internet Day has been uh, on the international calendar since early 2000, 2004. started out of Europe as a data just uh, galvanise online safety agencies up there and then it's spread around the world and, and I understand it's now celebrated in 170 countries. Oh, that's a good start. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And we get to be first by virtue of where we placed <laughs> New Zealand beside the dateline. So uh, it does start here in New Zealand and uh, and then uh, get picked up and travel around the world. It's really a chance to promote kind of a positive online safety message uh, to get people talking about online safety to sort of trigger parents to, to, to have a conversation with their children uh, to support businesses who are sharing stuff with their staff etc um, you know the, the 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 general message for a uh, safer internet day for the last few years has been the same which is that it's a shared responsibility and something we can all join in and, and support
1: it's one of the things i always say to the kids when i'm talking to them is that um if you want a safer internet it actually starts with you yeah and they're like hmm, okay cool so one of the things that you do actively at NetSafe, speaking about youth and kids is you actively get youth involved in what you do. For instance, you've got your NetSafe Youth Action Squad. Yes. Um, why is it so important to have the buy in of youth for what NetSafe does?
0: Oh, I think that with anything where you're trying to get youth enthusiastic about it, you have to recognise that they see the world slightly different from you. And, and for all the research in the world, you know, you're never going to quite understand it in the way that they understand it. Uh, I mean, Look, I, I guess as I've got older, <laughs> considerably older, <laughs> yeah. we're not as cool as what <laughs> we used to be. No, here, so not, but, but but I remember the enthusiasm that I had as a young person for change and for making things better. And then when we work with the Youth Action Squad, you, you're, you're reassured that, that 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 still exists. You know, young, young people uh, still have the energy, they still have the the desire. And so if you can tap into that and and use that, then that that's fantastic. That, that when you talk about change starting somewhere, well, yes, yeah, it's going to start with. People with the energy and enthusiasm for it, it's often the young.
1: No, I know that you had um, recently you had the youth action squad in, and they were busy doing stuff for you. What type of things do they do? You actually, get them to do for you? Yeah, they got
0: two two roles. One is to feed information back to NetSafe to help us improve our programs. And so uh, the meeting the other day was them uh, providing input into into the plans for the year. And then the other thing is that we uh, help them to be uh, I don't want to call it activists, but agents of change within within their environment. So to support them to to promote online safety in their schools. So they do that, they they sort of market for us into the student community and then also they they bring information back to us to help us improve our our programs.
1: Now in the last 12 months or so, have you seen one scheme or scam, and I mean we all do this, I do this when I find out about crime trends or patterns as a police officer, that you've seen on the internet and gone, wow, that's actually pretty clever, that's (laughs) quite smart.
0: (laughs) I see a lot of terrible stuff, (laughs) that's pretty smart. I mean, with the, the 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 scam that I guess fascinated me the most in the last twelve months uh, is the there is a scam where I was get this a little bit wrong because it's quite complicated. But basically, they ring one of the part, they ring your spouse, your partner, and gather some information from from them about a you know to sort of um, set up you, and then they, then they call you. So they go to this trouble of calling both people. And then you know, as you, you you both believe that something is happening, a, pack, a package being delivered, whatever, that you're really vulnerable to the scam. But the thing that's really um, uh, worrying, I guess, is looking forward. Uh, just some of those key technologies, the kind of use of AI, the, the the deepfake technology. Yeah, these things require big resources and capability today. But you know that within a, a short time, someone with a you know a home PC is going to be able to do that kind of thing. And you know, it's going to be hard to, for, if, if it's hard to spot scams today, how hard is it going to be with deep fakes and AI kind of technology supporting the scams? Well?
1: There you go. Well that's actually my next question. Deep fake videos, hmm. deep fake videos are becoming more and more common on the internet and you look at them and go, "Yeah, it's not quite right, it's not quite synchronised right, or the lighting's really bad, it doesn't quite sound like them. Hmm. Do you think we we're actually going to see a day when we can't see the difference between reality and fiction, and is that a huge danger for us with anything that we'll then do on the internet. Because, I mean, if you think about it logically, that means that you've pretty much got any celebrity saying anything you want. You've got any politician saying anything you want and going out there. So do you think it's a real concern, that the deep fake videos?
0: Yeah, it is. I mean, you're quite right. But The reality is, even with all the resources in the world, you can't quite create a perfect fake at the moment. But it's not too far away. And, you know, you you, you see the efforts of people like Weta Workshop or Mm -hmm. LucasArts or whatever, and you see what they can create. Now, yeah, they... Their resources are beyond the average person, but we know the the path that technology follows. That will be the kind of thing that's available to us. Yeah, you'll get to the point in the future where you get zero trust environment. You can't believe anything that you see. So, uh, you know, that if people don't trust anything, well, that will stop them from falling for scammers. But then it also undermines the usefulness of all these technologies uh, in 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 terms of their positive contributions.
1: And that, I suppose, is going to be another spin-off business in itself because you're going to get things then like... um uh, deceased estates and their intellectual property so say for instance if Fake video gets so good you could actually have Elvis Presley Michael Jackson and Prince all on the same video but there's going to be some massive negotiation there so yeah it's going to be an interesting one I'll world. stay clear of that
0: because every, every time I get into copyright I get into trouble the
1: lawyers will right. ring me and tell okay. me, that's all good no worries <laughs> that's all good then that's fine uh, and I know copyright law is massive um, you do a massive amount of media for NetSafe mm. what's been your biggest gaffe on air so far the but, one moment you've gone oh I wish I could take that back
0: I almost wouldn't want to repeat it on, on a podcast because it will come back to haunt me I once accidentally said that New Zealanders had a small town mentality uh, I, I, and it wasn't exactly what I meant to say but that certainly blew back on me I did have my earpiece and microphone system fall out when I was live on TV uh, in, a, in a live cross between Auckland and Wellington and then tried to carry on the conversation even though I couldn't hear what the other person was saying so that was pretty it was on close up
1: Yes, I had the same thing happen to me in Tony Street and Breakfast TV. Lovely. <laughs> uh, so cold call scams are the bane of lots of New Zealanders' existence. And as you well know, you probably helped out with some of the footage. Even the New Zealand police showed a scammer calling the police pretending to be a Windows technician and wanting to update our system. Mm. What's the best advice for when you receive a call like this? I mean, back in the 70s, the police used to give information like, get a really loud whistle and blow down the phone. And it's like, oh, really, it's not that not that that type of phone call now what's the what's the type of advice that you'd give somebody if you are getting two or three of these phone calls a day
0: oh i mean you just got to break off the you just got to not engage um the the, you know i mean i i know people find it fun to um you know bait the scammers etc but unfortunately they when you annoy them they seem to find quite a lot of energy to to get back at you and they get really abusive and call more regularly etc so you know tell them you know they're scammers and hang up and, and hopefully after a few times they'll break off and um, again you know you can report the phone numbers to us the the telcos will take the phone numbers from us and disrupt they'll remove those uh, rights to call on those numbers and disrupts the scammer so it's it's worth also reporting the number
1: well that's what i've actually got as a police officer look i frequently advise people that if they receive a call like that they should actually ring you guys at netsafe 0508 netsafe and give you guys a call because the more awareness we've got the more likely the scams are actually to work yeah why do you think we don't bother with scam phone calls do you think it's just that fact of oh, it's only a phone call they're not going to really be able to do anything better and it's yeah. actually not about that is it? it's about raising the awareness
0: yeah and I think that's right I mean you're, you're asking someone to report a phone number there's no particular benefit to them the benefit will be to other people uh, but you know the, I guess the thing that's important people know is that telcos will take those numbers and block them which is disrupting the scammers, and the more we make New Zealand a difficult target for scammers, the more likely they'll target another country, so that should be our objective.
1: Now, Privacy Act uh, 2020 and the Digital Communications Acts were massive pieces of legislation that were urgently needed. Mm. Um, Let's be honest, our legal system was a bit old and a bit uh, crusty, shall we say, for want of a better word. does NetSafe provide advice or make submissions when laws like the Privacy Act and the Digital Communications Act were being formed? Were you basically saying to the lawmakers, hey, have you thought about this or have you thought about that? Or, yeah, we were heavily we,
0: involved in the uh, design and drafting of the Harmful Digital Communications Act. And that was because we had the operational experience and we knew uh, how to how it was likely to actually operate. And so, you know, that was our... The government required us to share that information to improve that Act. Same with the the Privacy Act, we'll share our um, experiences as they're relevant to the Act. And those are two, the two strengths of the Act, I mean, the Privacy Act was was just been updated and it was a very old Act, and yet it was still relatively able to be used, you know, it was difficult for the Privacy Commissioner (laughs) to use it, but they continue to use a 1993 piece of legislation, you know, right through to last year. And the reason is because both the Acts are principles-based. And when we're talking about legislation and t- uh, regulation for the internet, if, if it's principles-based, it'll survive longer than if it's really specific, say something like the File Sharing Amendment Act, which targeted peer-to-peer file sharing, which was a technology that was on its way out by the time the legislation was, was finalised.
1: Now when you look at things like the current situation that we've got with some of the social media, um, and who are now basically turning around and sort of saying, hey, we'd like some type of regulation, we'd mm. like some type of governance. How do you see that panning out? Is the first question, and who do you think is going to actually legislate those changes? Who? So basically, my second question is: Who watches the watchman? Because it's a bit tri- difficult. So I'll give you the first one. How do you see that panning out after they've sort of said we need to be, we need to have some type of regulation here, and we need some type of governance?
0: Yeah. So they all the all. The tech industry will say they, they, they don't have a problem with regulation as long as it's good regulation, and of course your idea of good regulation and theirs might be different, mm-hmm. uh, but they are now, the bigger players are certainly comfortable with the idea that governments will regulate and that that will actually be beneficial to them because it helps them to uh, follow those rules and, and make difficult decisions about content that has to be taken down or stay. Uh, in terms of we can see how it's playing out right now you know countries are having a different uh, crack at it the Australians are really aggressive in the way they're mm-hmm. approaching it uh, Europeans are fairly aggressive Americans are you know fairly hands-off in, in terms of it we haven't really seen where New Zealand comes down in terms of what it's thinking about regulation how, how I mean typically we haven't been a country that's been aggressive in regulating the multinationals and that's partly because of our size our market size etc but uh, there's certainly opportunity for New Zealand to develop uh, regulation Um, That you know, in partnership with industry in a way that uh, is workable and that that could become a model for the rest of the world.
1: Now, these are just some of your figures, NetSafe's figures, I should say. So, in 2020, one in five young people in New Zealand have been the target of online bullying. Mm. $18 million reported loss to scams, a 228% increase in scam reports to NetSafe. Mm. Uh, In lockdown, we had romance scams up by 65%. Uh, extortion up by 35%, intimidation up by f- uh, 45%, uh, distribution uh, of uh, objectionable material up by 66%. There's there some days that the NetSafe crew comes in, like the police staff do sometimes, and go, ah, where do we even begin to start? And then, like we do in the police force, we get a good story or we'll get something and we actually are able to do something. Do you find sometimes it's just you look at it and just go, wow. It's but this is overwhelming.
0: Oh, yeah, certainly. And you see like periods like that where all the numbers were going in the wrong direction and, and uh, all the agencies, not just NetSafe, but everybody who worked in the space was under the pump and you could see how much people were struggling. Yeah, I mean, at times like that, you think, I man, we're really under-equipped for what we're battling against. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of the team, I mean, we stay pretty optimistic. I think New Zealand, you're a pretty small community of people who, who, who fight online harms uh and between those different agencies they kind of support each other share uh, you know the wins that we get uh, and and keep people sort of optimistic and and upbeat you know certainly we've we've i mean you mentioned earlier about being world leading new zealand is considered world leading the Harmful digital communications act world leading the, the the new the approach to privacy you know pretty world leading so and and our approach to working on online harms is considered world leading and the main thing about it is partnership the fact that we all work together and I, and I don't just mean all the government agencies and the NGOs but also we bring in industry and you know uh, the NGOs whose primary responsibility is not online safety but is some other area of safety that overlaps and the fact that we find ways to work together and actually sort of pragmatically assist people and reduce harm.
1: Do you think that's due to the fact that we are a small island nation at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean and because of the fact that we are sort of slightly isolated I know that lots of... Um, Tech firms, for instance, will use this as a sort of control sample. Let's let's try this. We'll release this in New Zealand and see how well it works. Like PayWave, for instance. Um, when I last went up to Canada, I was standing beside a, an EPOS machine trying to PayWave, and they're like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "Have you guys not got PayWave?" And they're like, "What the heck's that?" Yeah. Um, so, do you think it's just the fact that we're so small that we basically we have to work together to get it to happen? Yeah. I mean,
0: t- definitely. I often say we're big enough to have resources but small enough to, to know each other, you know, and that's sort of the perfect size for rapidly resolving issues, you know, in, in partnership between uh, people here within New Zealand. Uh, there's also a mentality thing, you know, I think, uh, you know, people are prepared to look at the problem and say, to solve the problem I'll, I'll share and I'll, you know, I'll open up and I'll be a bit more transparent and I'll work with other agencies, which you don't always see in, in other countries. But, you know, I, I, we work closely with our Australian, you know, compatriots and we totally understand that their environment is far more complex, federal, state, territory kind of yeah. inter- interactions. Uh, so we don't, you know, we don't think that it, our successes could you know, be replicated in another country just just because, just because they're good. Uh, <laughs> but you know, there are there are definitely advantages in New Zealand's size. But I also think there's, a, there's an attitude thing amongst uh, New Zealanders when it comes to these kind of harms that they're prepared to work in partnership.
1: Do you think there's a real area uh, of concern for the public when you have, say for instance the situation in Australia where you've got a huge tech firm basically saying if you don't we're going to basically pull out and we're done here. Do you yeah. think that's a worry? Um, yeah, well I think in that
0: particular case I'm sure cooler heads will prevail and yeah. <laughs> and that won't be the actual outcome uh, and, and you know, in that particular case the tech company was saying that if you put this regulation in place the way our systems work we couldn't operate here. Uh, and that, you know it's been sort of it's become a stoush between the government and the, and the tech company in, in that particular case. But and we certainly would rather avoid getting into those standoff situations. And I think you know certainly when you look at our current government, their attitude towards the industry is to bring them into the tent first. Mm. I mean, if they uh, are belligerent once they're in there, perhaps they'll <laughs> take, a different, yeah. take a different approach. But in the first instance, bring them in and say, hey, what's going to work? You know, we we want your technology to be available to New Zealanders. We also want New Zealanders to be safe. How do we make those things work? And that seems to be working pretty well in terms of getting us uh, moving
1: forward. Now, I spoke to a couple of people and let them in on the secret that I was talking today. The question I got asked the most, I apologise now, Martin, is many parents will often complain their kids are always on their devices. Mm. Um, There's plenty of Netflix documentaries and YouTube documentaries and everything else. You know, Uh, The developers are using the same techniques that they use. They've got algorithms, et cetera, et cetera. What's the best way... Sort of three or four best ways to stop kids' uh, addictions to devices. Any ideas? <laughs> well, <laughs> one course, day to another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just mostly
0: yeah. uh, officially, of course, there is no addiction to. No, the body, there isn't. So, yeah. So there's some uh, some movement in terms of people saying maybe there is a you know kind of an addictive aspect to it. Uh, but at the moment, there's no officially no addiction. But the reality is, parents will see it the same way. Kids won't mm. get off their devices. No, there's no easy way. I think the first thing is just to, for parents to recognise that, that you're up against a couple of things. To, what's on those devices is entertaining—games, content, you know, social media, whatever. It's entertaining, and then the systems are designed to keep you in them. I mean, that's what they're, they're, they're primarily—the the games to keep you playing, social media to keep you browsing. Uh, websites to keep you keep you there so you are up against it and your children are never going to sort of voluntarily say I want to give up this super entertaining environment to go do something less entertaining um, so you're going to have to make those rules and we talk about sort of agreeing in advance you know kind of going through a conversation with children about that you're allowed you're going to allow them this time on these devices but if there's a a requirement for them to be doing other things, etc., and then to kind of come back to that agreement. Some people even have written formal agreements. Mm, yeah, I've seen them. I've seen them, <laughs> and yeah. uh, and say, you know, hey, come on, something uh, we had a contract, uh, but you know, there, there is no easy answer. I mean, it's just it's one of the tough aspects of parenting today that you are up against this super entertaining, super engaging technology when
1: you want your children to be doing their schoolwork, you're, you're up against all that. Yeah, not wrong. So, Arthur C. Clarke wrote in his book, just to prove to you that I read sometimes, mm-hmm. the view from Surinder that uh, he was obviously involved in satellite technology, mm-hmm. that satellites and the technology will eventually bring the end of censorship because of the ability to transmit straight away into people's lounges in those days in the television. Mm-hmm. right? So do you think that eventually, because of the internet, and already we've seen it, we've seen troops live on the battlefield in Afghanistan and raids on different things and the such like, being being straight into people's homes, the capital rights is a prime example I guess in yep. America recently. Do you think eventually censorship is going to cease to exist as more and more people become desensitised to things?
0: Well I hope not. Yeah me <laughs> because, too. Yeah. because the basis of censorship is that some content harms people eh, so uh you know we're not we're not fans of censorship in this country or in this organization but the reality is there there is stuff out there that you know some people will be harmed by seeing um no i don't think that there is an end to censorship i think there's two things that are required to fight back against that that sort of easy access one is technology AI, you know, the ability for a system to detect in real time that they're looking at violence or, or, or harmful content, and the other thing is regulation. The, the reality is that the big players will try. You know, for all of the high-profile things we've seen on Facebook or Google or Twitter, they are trying to stop their systems being used in that way. But then there, every time they do that, there are other businesses and platforms that pop up whose, you know, purpose is to deliver that content. Mm. And without regulations without regulation you know, by key players around the world and sort of agreement on some of those things, there will always be places for those organizations to exist and hide mm-hmm. and make that content available.
1: Is it a continual game of, let's say, for instance, I use the term whack-a-mole. Yeah. Is it a continual game of whack-a-mole? I mean, like you say, if... America legislates against New Zealand and Australia it's going to pop up in maybe India or Ireland or Sweden or something else so is it constantly just sort of oh, it's coming from here now or it's coming from there Yeah
0: well you've seen that with child sexual abuse material you know you've seen organised criminal sort of uh, criminal organisations kind of move their their, base of location to the place where they can most successfully operate least disrupted by law enforcement so that, that would be the case with any kind of online criminal enterprise but then, you know, we are using the internet, we are using a, a shared system, and as much as it is a very open platform, you know, it, it, is, it is a piece of technology that can be managed. And so there are technological options that could be employed, which would, you know, isolate them and, and stop them from being able to use it. It's just there's been no appetite for that, mm. uh, no certainly no international agreement, which would, which would be the first requirement for
1: it. Do you think it will be coming, the international agreement? Do you think eventually we'll get it or not? Or, or is it too hard?
0: Uh, I mean, it's like anything when you talk about international agreement. I <laughs> wouldn't claim to be an expert on international diplomacy, but you'll get the bulk of, of, you know, you'll get many countries agreeing, and if you get enough, then it becomes disruptive enough and effective enough. I mean, there's probably nothing in the world that every country agrees on. No. You know, even even things that seem ridiculously obvious. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are still safe havens for, for the most horrible sort of criminals on the, on the planet. So Not yeah,
1: wrong. Yeah. All right, I'll get you to put your Gandalf's hat on now. In 50 years' time, 50. Right, so you and I are not going to be here. (laughs) um, What do you think the internet looks like? Because, I mean, let's be honest, um, I've spoken to telecom engineers who were around in the 80s and they said, oh, yeah, we used to send SMSs just to make sure the line wasn't blocked and that type of stuff. And, yeah, you know, we never thought in a million days that that would become one of the biggest ways that people would communicate with one another around the world. Um, What do you think it looks like?
0: I think probably that, I mean, 50 years is a long time. It's because a long time. Technology. I can make it 20 if you want, that's oh, well, all good. Yeah, probably even in <laughs> 20 years. I think the key thing is that it, it, it just won't look like anything. You won't even be conscious of the fact that the internet exists. Um, everything will just be connected and, and meshed together so that uh, whatever it is, from you know, smart vehicles to, to you know, personal you know, robots and assistants and all those sorts of things, they'll all be meshed together and communicating, you know, using what we currently consider internet technology, but the, uh, the sort of backbone and hubs of the internet will become less and less, um, less and less sort of something that we're conscious of and, and, you know, there'll just be this kind of massive mesh of, of communication between devices.
1: And we've already started to see that, have we, with the lack of hard drives in offices now and the such like, because they're going out the window and we're going to I'm not going to say laptops, but we're going to things like iPads and tablets and the such like. Do you think eventually those things will have their data and we'll get something like um, Google Glasses, for instance, and that type of stuff so that people are working?
0: Yeah, so to be able to access information technology, to be able to do the things that that technology gives without having to, to have a separate device, you know, so... Uh, to be able to speak to devices and have them respond and, and take action on your behalf, to, to be able to wear glasses and see information without having to you know, get your phone out, whatever. You definitely can see that, that that's in the future. And even you know, now, like the, the amount that we use our phones for, we used to have multiple devices, um, you know, but at some point we won't even need to pick up the phone to do most of the things
1: we do on the phone. No. Do you worry personally about your own privacy? with all the devices that you use? Because I know that there's lots of people who will be listening going, oh, you know, I don't allow them to know where I am and they're certainly not finding out my location and I'm not going to scan there because that means that they'll know this and everything else. Do you worry about that or not?
0: I don't worry about it too much. I mean, I certainly stop and think a few times because, you know, in this job, you sort of join every platform and look at everything and whatever. And there's a few times when, you know, and I've got kind of different personas for some of the places that Just Mm -hmm. humans shouldn't go, to be honest. Uh, But um, you know, I do stop and think and look at things and think. I actually don't really want to hand over that information. But by and large, I'm you know I'm pretty embedded with technology. I utilise you know the the big platforms. I'm pretty I'm pretty committed to Google and the services it provides me. And so I provided a lot of information to get that, and I consider that to be the the trade off. Yeah.
1: How do you unplug? So if I said to you, okay, you're going away for a week. No tech anyway. How would you unplug? How do you unwind? Because I'm guessing there is some type of rule in your house where the devices get turned off, or, or the devices always on. <laughs> um, you know, how do you unplug? How do you unwind?
0: Yeah, I mean, I've got two toddlers, so uh, you know, you can easily, uh, you can easily. Im- lose days and days just sort of spending time with them uh you know you you meant to start them from my so i like to get back to the beach and take the kids to the beach and try to give them that kind of experience i had when i was a kid Mm -hmm. and and certainly i mean it's pretty funny isn't it because you're on the beach and you know buckets and spades and out comes the phone to take a picture of the kids Uh, but but uh, you know certainly other than taking a photo you know the technology is sort of discarded in in every other way
1: all right okay so last question uh and it's the question we always ask uh, the eulogy question, so your day of reckoning's come, you're in the casket, but strangely enough you can hear everything that everybody's going to be saying about you. Um, I'm going to guess it's going to be one heck of a multimedia presentation as well, just because <laughs> of the NetSafe angle. What would you want people to say about Martin Cocker and what you've achieved with NetSafe? Uh, I,
0: think I just want people to say you didn't give up, You know that, uh, that you're dedicated to it and you, you, you kept on trying. Uh, I mean, you want people to know that you were doing it for the right reasons, and you want people to know that you were, that, 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 you know, you were dedicated to it. It wasn't, a, you know, that was something you were really personally committed to. But I think the 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 thing is, you know, you want want people to see you as somebody that just kept on kept on trying to do the right thing and trying to get the right outcomes. All right.
1: Okay. So NetSafe is across all platforms so the web address for NetSafe is
0: netsafe.org.nz
1: all right and you're on Twitter you're on Facebook I know you're on Instagram as well yeah just about every other social media platform as well yep. um, if people have got a query or a concern and I used it in the last week myself mm. it's 0508 NetSafe um, and don't forget about Safe Internet Day which will be the 9th of February 2021 uh, NetSafe has got a whole bunch of free downloadable resources there that's
0: right just yep. jump on the on the Website netsafe.org.nz, and you can access all the safer internet day uh, materials. And you know, we encourage people to sort of formally let us know if they're participating. Uh, just so we can kind of keep a track of uh, how the day is growing in New Zealand
1: yeah and a word of wise to the savvy here as well um I've got a lot of my friends who think I'm tech savvy I'm not I'm actually just subscribed to the NetSafe newsletter uh but they see stuff come up and they're like oh have you thought about this and like oh you you you're onto it you're plugged into your devices so that's a great piece of advice as well Martin thanks very much for what you and NetSafe do I know that some of the stuff that you see and we haven't really touched on it It's not, like you say, anything that a human should see, Mm. Uh, but thank you for fighting up the good fight and continuing to do what you're doing with the internet. Um, And I hope that Safer Internet Day goes great for us and that we have more and more people come on board, as you say, because the more awareness we have about this situation, the better it gets. So appreciate your time. Yeah,
0: thank you. Cappuccino with Constable Brian. Real people, real stories. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss his next podcast.